Hey, podcast listeners, let me tell you about the Boardroom Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks. That takes place October 9th and 10th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. A magnificent hall filled with all of the top surfboard industry brands, shapers, and designs. Iconofoam Pat Rawson will be honored in the Tribute to the Masters Shape-Off. Insightful seminars presented by Board Shaper. Best in show, live music, and much, much more. The Surfboard Manufacturing Industries Trade Show. Open to the public, the Boardroom Surfboard Show, presented by U.S. Blanks, October 9th and 10th. More info at boardroomshow.com. And have you heard about Headstock, the Guitar Lovers Festival? Headstock takes place in San Diego, November 6th and 7th. Beautiful guitars exhibited by incredible craftsmen and luthiers. A chance to celebrate stringed instruments and the power of live music. Headstock, Guitar Lovers Festival, a guitar show open to the public, November 6th and 7th. In San Diego, California. For more information, visit guitarloversfestival.com. Many know Graham Smith as the father of WCT campaigner Jordy Smith. That was certainly my connection to Graham Smith. What I didn't know about was his lifelong passion for building surfboards, a passion that has taken him all around the world. In many ways, this is the greatest time to be a middle-aged surfer, as most of the red-hot shapers from the turn of the century are now themselves middle-aged and building boards that make sense for themselves, and that translates into well-thought-out volumes and foils that allow us to catch waves, but also for the dream to be kept alive, yes, we still like to carve, and Graham Smith gets it. Full disclosure, I ordered a board from G, the Fat Monk model. Not that I'm fat, perhaps a few inches popping out as love handles along the hip line. And not a monk, but I am a fan of Thomas Merton's opus, New Seeds of Contemplation. But after reading through the design elements on the Smith Shapes website, I settled on a board that made the most sense for me. On this episode of the Boardroom Podcast, Graham Smith of Smith Shapes, husband, father, surfboard builder. Let us begin. Uh, it was actually through Wes, you know, but I mean, I've known all about you guys, man, but Wes really introduced us, you know, to you because of, I think it was one of the past comments that you actually made. I uh, can't remember, I can't recall, but um, he said it was really cool. And he listened into what you were talking about. And he said, wow, this guy's really on the program, you know, and he spoke really highly of Geordie and a couple of other things. And, and he, we said, well, we should reach out to him. I mean, you know, it's just not really often we have someone who gives us this love, you know, so um, that's where it all started. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. Now, um, I've got sort of an off question for you. This guy Rodriguez, right? The singer Rodriguez. Apparently, yeah. he, he was a big deal in South Africa. What do you know about this guy? Plenty. Basically, I'd say it was possibly around about 70, 75 or 72, around that area where um, one of the uh, South African kind of a, a, a surfer, muser, muser, was traveling and he picked up this, you know, one of the records that was kind of being showcased in 
in, in one of the LP, because it was all LPs those days, you know. Yeah. And he picked this thing up and he said, wow, this is kind of crazy music. This is unreal. He took it back to South Africa. And he knew someone in on the on on the radio, you know what I mean? And they kind of just played one or two of their songs. But I wonder was just became one of the biggest hits in South Africa. And it was huge. And I mean he he never came here because I think Yeah, but he did come to South Africa. Uh I can't remember what date it was or when. But it was in the eighties and he was a huge hit, you know. And um yeah, he he was Yes, yeah. we all knew about him, you know. I mean, and it was kind of like surfing music as well, you know, as as um, a little bit more. I wouldn't say it had a, a reflection of of uh, uh, how would you say it um, being biased against uh, black or this or that or whatever. It was just how he was, you know, being yeah. being. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety eight actually. Yeah, do you know, so, he was, so, I don't know if you know, but they did a documentary film on this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Yeah, we, we won an Academy it, Award. Searching it, it, for Sugar Man. Yeah, Searching for Sugar Man. Yeah, exactly. And that's how that's I found it. out about this guy, because here yeah. in the States, we had no idea who this guy was. And that's all my crazy. South African friends are like, yeah, he's like Bob Dylan. And we're like, what? Yeah, I've never exactly. heard of the guy. You're right. He's our Bob Dylan, basically. It was crazy, you know. Um <laughs> I think he had most probably a two or three hits on, on our top uh, 10 in South Africa, top 20. Yeah. For sure, 100%, you know. It was the anti-apartheid kind of yeah, yeah, scenario, you know. Who is that uh, feeding you all these answers over here in the corner? Is that Wes? Oh, wow. Oh, that's well, your wife? Oh. She was right into it. Yeah, that's Lou. Oh, hi. How are you, sweetheart? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. So let me let me change uh, tracks here a little bit, G. Um, I'd like to get a little bit of background on you. Um, when did you start surfing? Uh, what was your first surfboard? Well, basically, my dad was kind of like a little bit of a part-time lifeguard, you know, down on the beach. This is going back in, say, 1960 or so when I was still a super grom, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I got into my brothers, or oh, we're, we're riding Ken Bens, big Ken Bens. You know, the woodies were still out then. And then the Ken Ben was kind of like uh, an epoxy uh, bubble foam, which we called it bubble foam, not styro those days. You know, it was called yeah. like a bubble foam. Yeah. And then I kind of slowly got into it, but the board was too big and I was too young trying to carry it at 10 years old. And then at around about 13, 14, I was walking down West Street and I bumped into Max Wetland, who had a big Wetland uh, surf shop, skate shop, kind of thing, the same as what Zephyr were doing back in the day in California, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I walked past his shop on a Saturday morning and he said, hey, Grom, see the road, you see the, the tea room across the road? And he gave me a rand, which was like a dollar. Go and get us three cold drinks and three, like, Hot cross buns or something, or Chelsea buns. So I ran across the road, brought them to him, and he's just sitting, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just going to the beach, checking out the waves. You know, he said, get your ass in here. Pick up the broom. Start sweeping. <laughs> you know, it was just, that was it. Uh, I just became part of this little sh shop and then slowly um, got involved in de-waxing boards. All the boards were around, and there were nine-footers and, and eight-footers, you know. Let me ask you and, this. When, when you... When you were walking down that street and you just happened to run into Max Wetland, 
Um, do you think if you were not walking down that street, you'd be in the position you are now, or would you have eventually found your way to the surf and to building surfboards? I don't think as early as that, but um, obviously when I got to Standard 5, a lot of kids came and they were living down at Addington Beach. There's particularly three guys, Rami Carraza, Ricky Botha, uh, and myself, and um, Huey Thompson, uh, who's making surfboards still today, you know. Um, said, you've got to come down to the beach and hang out and everything else. And I was going, yeah, you know, I kind of know about surfing and that. But it was more soccer for me because across the road, just up the street from me, was a football field. So we were into playing soccer. It was just so much easier. Kicking, everyone had a ball and all you had to do is have boots. Yeah. And you could go play soccer. But a surfboard you needed to have was probably 50 rand, which was $5, you know, to buy a board. Are you that crazy? No one had that kind of money, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I might have got into it, but uh, he definitely paved the way for me, Max Wetland. Tell me a bit about Max. He, he was, I understand he was sort of, well, he was your shaping mentor, right? What was he like as a human being, as a boss, as a board manufacturer in South Africa? Is there a guy here you could compare him to? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was the Mickey Dora for sure. He was the Mickey Dora batty uh, of surfing. And he was in a, in a surfing team. You know, he went to California with um, a guy, uh, Ant van der Heuvel, who won the, the, an event in America. I actually have his surfboard, his longboard at my factory, which is number 58. And they created this um, Ant van der Heuvel model kind of thing. But Max was an innovator for sure. You know, he had George Thompson. I'm sure you might have heard of George Thompson. There was Mac Wetton. Robert McWade, all these guys were part of this crew that traveled all over the world. And then they were invited by Bud Brown. And then when they came to South Africa to do in the summer. So everyone, so they, Bud Brown and them all knew about who Max Wetland was, you know what I mean? In a big yeah. way. Yeah. And um, obviously it was John Whitmore from Cape Town, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Max was the guy in Durban. Max Wetton was the founder of mm-hmm. Wetton Surfboards, you know. Really yeah. down to He was partially, um, I think, um, one of the Red Indian, he was obviously, his family came from Wetland. That's where his name from, Canada, the Wetlands. Yeah. You know, the Wetlands was a Red Indian. I don't know if it was Cherokee. I think he was partially Cherokee. So, and then he went back to in that whole apartheid regime that came around the 82s, 83, 85, Max said, shit, let me get out here and go back, back home to, to Canada. And he spent another 10, 12 years there. But um, he just wanted to get back to surf, you know what I mean? And he, yeah. he returned to South Africa and he, he returned to South Africa basically because Midget Farrelly and him were really well connected because they used to hang together at the world events yeah. uh, in Punta Rocas in, in, in Peru. They had one of the world events and obviously back in California, all over the world in California. And, and I mean, basically they went to these events, Australia. So he, when he went back to South Africa with Midget, they introduced phenolic foam and that's what got him back into manufacturing surfboards again and blowing blanks, which was his passion. He's still part of the surf blanks. I mean, he's dead now. I raised his soul. Yeah, yeah. And, and his daughters and whatever have taken over the business of blowing um, blanks. So he, he was basically blowing the same blanks that Midget was doing in Australia. They were kind of partners. That was it. He yeah. was under their, under their licensee. Yeah. yeah. Sure. 
to surf planks Australia. Yeah. And then as I read through some of your bio, uh, at some point you broke off from Max and, and started your own label. When did that occur? And, and what was that, that like for you? Was that, was that kind of scary jumping out on your own? No, no, for sure. It was basically, I was hanging with doing some work for Sean Thompson. You know, they were struggling, but was, I was still shaping at home in my, in my garden, in my garage and glassing one or two boards, you know, and I had a little, a little kind of following in, in my area in Glenwood which was possibly like five or four miles from the beach. And um, I decided to go to Hawaii in 1978, 79. And I was surfing at sunset one day and Craig Sugarara from Town & Country and Daryl Cow that were running the Town & Country brand in, in Pearl Ridge uh, saw me out at sunset. And when I came in, they said, Jeez, what, what board is that? And I said, oh, it's one I made in South Africa. Oh, where are you from? You know, this and that. And, and he said, wow, could I have a ride on it? So I said, yeah, no, take it for a wave. And Craig wrote it and someone else wrote it. I can't remember who it was. And he came out and said, my God, this thing flies. And I said, oh, thanks. He said, do you want to come shape some in my factory? And I said, yeah, I'll come by for sure. And I was like, are you sure you want me to come to your factory? <laughs> You're like the guru, you know what I mean? I'm just a kook, you know? And I went there and all the rest is history. That's how I secured town and country surfboards, you know, and was all through, through Craig's Aurora. And obviously with me helping Sean and his father Ernie out with glassing and shaping, and getting the factory together, yeah. I ended up taking over the Sean Thompson factory, you know, because yeah. I invested and helped them to do the instinct thing. Cause that was, was when instinct started. And obviously there was a, this, a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say bad vibe between Mark Thompson and Sean, because yeah. MT had started the gotcha. Yeah. And that just took off like a rocket, you know? Yeah. And Sean wanted to try and do his thing to try and capture, MT didn't worry about the surfboard scene, he worried more or less on the clothing, because yeah. he was involved in SA Clothing, and that was quite a big brand. That's where Mark, where Paul Norday, uh, Mark Price, Mark Savage, all got groomed through Mark Thompson. Yeah. You know, he groomed them. Oh yeah, for sure. That, oh yeah, hundred percent. So, and and, and uh, so there was a bit of a a bit of a sort of um, family rivalry between Sean exactly. and Michael. A hundred percent. Being obviously very competitive because Sean was a, you know the the king, you know, with yeah. surfing. You know? And Michael was really good. He he was a charger, you know. I just don't think he wanted to pursue competitive surfing, but he could surf pop well. I mean, he got some big backhand barrels back in the day, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or, but um, with him having his degree, he knew where to go with the clothing. You know, the clothing was where the market, I mean, you know, um, you only had Sun Deck and you had Hang Ten and a couple other small little brands, you know, going. I mean, and yeah. only thing Sean Stussy had come on strong there, but Sean was doing boards then because he was, I was seeing a lot of these Sean Stussy surfboards, which is yeah. really had a feel and a special look, you know, super appealing. Yeah. His, and, his uh, noses are really, his, his outlines are really kind of yeah. sexy. Well, well, he, had he, had a little, he had a bit of a, a wider nose, but the tails worked well and they kind of templed in and the, the templed nose kind of got, taken away when he put the beacon it created that that real pronounced beak long way longer than the than what the 
uh, lightning bolts who have been done or, or, or Brecker boys or, you know, those kind of guys or yeah. even Con, Con Surfboards was doing, you know, he was another great uh, innovator in surfing was Con, you know, yeah, and sure. yeah. I was helping um, Randall Kim, who was running the Kong show back there in 1980, you know, so it was just this mix and match that I was so fortunate to be at the right time, you know. And then all the action sports shops started, uh, shows started to open up in 81, 82, 83. And that become, became a whole new scene with uh, a blowout and gotcha and crazy and town and country. And just about every brand was there, you know. Um, yeah. Shit started. It didn't last too long, but I'm just saying they, they've tried to get in, you know. Yeah. But now, they, so, so when you met Craig in Hawaii and you visited his, his factory there, the town and country, um, so you took the license back to South Africa? To South Africa. And I kind of said to Craig, this is how you get a franchise going. And, and he said, yeah, well, you know, could you help me on that? And that's when we started to go and venture out with New Zealand and Australia. And I took, you know, so then I, I actually formulated that for Craig through Nigel Perro, who's Karen Perro's father, who came to South Africa and started shaping for me. Oh, and then, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's when I had Tony Surf come and go through the drill in my factory. And then Tony Surf went back to Australia and he was working through that with Gunter Rohn. So it was a kind of a small little crew of guys that were really in the industry, but they weren't as big as Bob McTavish, who was in, in, in um, um, Byron Bay. Because no, Byron Bay was where, where it was all really getting strong, you know, the, all the boards have been made in Byron Bay. This oh, is before sure. the Gold Coast started because on the Gold Coast, I was working with um, Al Byrne. He was burning spears back then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and Greg Clough on, at Pittswater in Sydney. So I had all this access and I was making Haloas, Talent Countries, burning spears, <laughs> everything in my factory going, oh my God, this is but it was just so much information, you know, you, yeah. you can't get all that. And then I met Bill Celia from uh, Nirvana, Nirvana. Yeah. and I brought Bill over to South Africa and we started making Nirvana. And then I met Jim Lucas from Force 9. He was a Cronulla working with Oki. And then I had Oki on the boards with, with Force 9 and all that sort of stuff. It was, so you have all these labels going through your factory in South in Durban, basically, right? Exactly. Wow. That that's that's yeah. quite a lot of business. Well, we were kind of, I was thinking of it to try and be like the Japanese market, but because we had history and we had surf and we all spoke English, it was a different vibe because Japan was really strong. Eh? Yeah. Everything was so meticulous and so clean and precision work. You know, it was amazing back then, you know, yeah. um, hence Takoahara and Kazumi Nakamura doing CHP, yep. which CHP got, which was followed through with Taco O'Hara and Town and Country. You know, they were the backbone of doing all the clothing. CHP is still going pretty strong with his kids, I believe. Yes, with with um, uh, Daisuke. I believe so. Daisuke yeah. Nakamura. Yeah, we yeah. actually just signing a contract now with them, with Smith and the, and their brand. And oh, cool. work through them. Because, yeah, we... because when, I met, when I met Kazumi in 1982, he asked, gee, could I send Daiki to you to South Africa? 
It was a lot cheaper than him sending him all the way to try. No one wanted to teach him in America. Not yeah. this 13-year-old kid, the 14-year-old kid is going, no, are you mad? So I said, send him to me. I'll look after him. And he came and he stayed here for a year. Cool. So, yeah, we taught him everything. That's so great. Yeah. You know, they had a booth at the last boardroom show that we did in Tokyo. The CH- okay. And the CHP booth had all of this great history in it. It was just yeah. lined with cool old photos of basically the CHP brand from start to finish. It was really, really right. neat. Yeah. Pretty sick. yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, South Africa has a compulsory military service of two years. Is that still happening? No, no, not really. It's um, kind of fell away when it all changed in 1994. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like everything else fell away. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Fair enough. For some reason, I thought that was still happening, but I apologize. Ah, well, I mean, you know, I was doing cadets. We ordered cadets at school from then at six, which is like when you're around 13 years old, 14. And then my junior certificate, I left school having my junior certificate, which is like a standard eight before you go to college. And at, I turned 17 and the 2nd of July and the 4th of July, I was in the army. I was going up to doing, doing my, my uh, three months basic. And then it was going on the border, you know, on the border because there was so much terrorism going around with all the outside yeah. countries of South Africa. You know, no one really knew what was going on. And there was yeah. Angola, there was the Kafiri Strip, you know, there was Tangredesian border, all this nonsense. Was it scary? So, yeah, it was pretty scary. Eh? I yeah. mean, it was life and death. Yeah. Definitely. And then I had to do camps for 10 years after that. So from 17 to 27, I had to do 10 years of camps, three weeks at a time, just to get you tuned, um, up. tuned up again, uh, your gun and this and different yeah. rifles and all the rest of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of interesting. Um, tell me about, you know, you know probably better than, than most how South African surfers felt regarding um, when Tom Carroll in 1985 and Martin Potter in 1985 boycotted the South African surfing competitions. As a South African surfer, um, what was the feeling on the ground there on the beaches regarding that boycott by Tom and Martin and those no, other guys? It was very sad, eh? Because I think for Sean, you know, he, they, they kind of boycotted Sean because he was the guy. He yeah. was the strong, articulate, well-groomed, you know, short-haired, yeah. well-mannered surfer, and it kind of stopped his his role in trying to be what he wanted to be to try and get a world title back again, you know. Uh, and he couldn't, obviously, because they wouldn't allow him to go surf Japan. He couldn't travel anywhere in the world. It was it was pretty hectic for him, I think, you know. And we had a lot of the younger surfers wanting to go through, which was obviously the, the Mark Price and those kids were also on tour, you know. And we had Gavin Rudolph, we had Jonathan Palmer, and we had plenty. Mark Lamont, sure you've heard of Mark Lamont. He did the lightning bolt in South Africa. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was talked about, but because we weren't really like rugby or football. It wasn't really that's the, the strength wasn't really there in in our sports as as such. It was it was uh, our own doing to get it, our own fundraising. You know what I mean? To get 
our service out of the country. You know, it wasn't supported by by the government as much back then. You know. But what about uh, your local crew? Like you, the guys that you're surfing with, like. Is the general feeling on the beach in 1985 um, sort of for what Tom Carroll and Martin Potter were doing, or was it a, for more for Sean Thompson's viewpoint on this situation? No, for Sean, 100. Yeah. percent We were pretty pissed off that the Bronze Aussies had created this whole thing, you know, and Tom had, had spoken out, you know, pretty loud and vigorous, you know, regarding what's going yeah. on now and everything else, which kind of suppressed us because we were we were doing surfboards that our Africans were earning good money. Yeah. It wasn't, they didn't really look at the surfing industry as such. They looked at political industry, which was either in, 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 in mass production, coal, gold mining, you know, metal yeah. industry, you know, building industry, that sort of thing. Our guys, they were working for us, our artisans, which were Africans, of course, with, Thoroughly so stoked because they were they weren't on the same tier uh, salary wise as what um, what it would be if they were working in the gold mine. That's yeah. where it was all happening. That yeah. big industry, you know, the steel industry, but the surf industry was 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 small. Um, but we were looking after our guys one hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? They were getting good salaries. So we were the, a super minority, you know. We were yeah. the majority, you know. But was was the boycott by those pro surfers? Did it did it hurt the small little surfboard industry there, or did it not even it, make yeah, a difference? Stopped, no, it did because it stopped all our exports. Right. You see, it suppressed yeah. us on our exports. So we right. we kind of we we went. We didn't have thousands of surfers like you guys had in America, Australia. Yeah. So we relied on the exports, and we still do today. Yeah. In a big way, you know, we still do today in a big way. But um, have you recovered from that? Has the has the surfboard manufacturing industry in South Africa recovered from that yeah, yet? Do you think? Yeah, yeah no, it, it has. And we owe it to you guys for sure. We owe it to the global to the global dollar rand because our rand is so weak, and it obviously gives us a lot more opportunity. We're asking get boards for a little bit a little bit cheaper. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. and. Our quality is good. We speak the same language, you know. So, so sort of. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me um, let me ask you about this. We go from say 1978 through to 85, and now we're in 1988, and this is the year that Jordy, your son, is born. And Jordy quickly became um, sort of, um, and I, I don't mean to put words into your situation here, but. Tell me about Jordy as a as a source of feedback for your surfboards. Jordy as, a, a, as a young guy, as a young kid. Yeah, Jordy played a huge part because he spent so much time in the factory, you know, from four, five, six years, he, years old, seven years old. Uh, I mean, he made this, the, the, the Natal team at six years old. And at seven, he was really surfing under 10s. And um, when he got to around about 12, 13, it's when it really started to notice the difference when he started popping airs and really maturing well, you know, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a mature way where he could compete against 16 and 18 year olds, which is our junior team, you know, and this kid was only 13. And obviously, Pierre Tosti and a lot of like uh, guys that came and stayed with us was Jeff Booth. Uh, uh, Tom Curran, I mean, you know, and uh, obviously Potts and that, they sort of said, Jordy's definitely got something, gee, this guy's got 
definitely got a, he's a natural kid. He's got a gift, you know, yeah. you nurture that, you know. And then Geordie's obviously with him riding the shorter boards, he would say to me, dad, make the tail a bit wider or, or do this or do that. And it, it kind of went well until I think 2003 at 15 when he won the ISA World Games. And that's when, you know, he really said, dad, you got to do this, you got to work on that, you got to work on this. And then that year, I'd say from 15 to 16 and a half, when he went to Australia, and then obviously J, JS had seen him and DHD, and they were like on him, you know what I mean? Because we spent yeah. a lot of, spent three months a year in Australia since he was 11 years old, every year, 11, yeah. 12, 13, 14, 15, I'd be taking him to America, to Hawaii, and then to Australia for three months. That yeah. went on for seven years in a row. Yeah, You know what I mean? This kid didn't go to school or anything and spend five months away from home. What was it so, like when he when he came to you and he said, he basically said, Dad, you know, I love you, but I want to ride some other boards. Was that a tough situation for you? Well, it was. I had to swallow it, you know, but you yeah. know what? I wanted what Jordy wanted. Yeah. And that's why that relationship went that, that, that well with him because it was about him winning and not about, and I didn't care what product it was as long as you won on this, on, on, on someone else. I didn't even mind it was. But he always came back and said, have a good look at this. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's stand this. Make sure this is bad. I'd make it. And he'd ride it and he'd go, yeah, it's not bad. You know? <laughs> say, what the shit is <laughs> But you had to hold back, you know. Uh, yeah. you know it, was, it was tough. It was tough to swallow, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure. But if you, if you have a look at the past history, there would be, what's that, babe? No, I'm saying, if you thought he was riding the boards, you would make all those kids' boards. Oh, yeah, no, because he, I mean, he was riding those boards and he brought them back to the factory and we kind of went through scanning them and that, you know, and the kids yeah. came. They, 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 all those South Africans rode my boards. They were going, yeah. hey, gee, these, that's what actually kept us going so well because they knew what the Geordie thing was all about, you know, and yeah. it, it, it possibly, putting him on the map on a global sense as well with JS, it opened up a lot of doors for him, you know, the sponsorship yeah. game and a lot more attention was paid to Geordie, you know? Yeah, it was um, for sure the smart thing to do. I just, I, I'm always wondering what that conversation was like between you and him when he was well, basically. I knew, I knew Sam Egan well, Luke's dad. We shared yeah. boards together. Same thing, yeah. right? Same thing I, happened to I, him. I knew Shane Steadman well. Right. He was Luke Deadman's dad. We did the same thing to him and Miguel yeah. Pupo's dad. All these people going, we are all sitting down going, he's my fucking kid running this other boy. <laughs> <laughs> so they all went through it, you know? Yeah. It was like, you gotta let it go. You just let it go, you know? Have you ever had a full-on, like, punch out with your son? Never. No. Never. He had hardings until 17 years old with yeah. a belt. Yeah. So he knew, I mean, yeah. you know, him and Damien Farron fought. We're in Australia. Yeah. And, uh, and we were supposed to have gone to the three degrees premiere. I'm yeah. all dressed in my suit waiting. And these two kids are still surfing. Well, they got out the water and I hid behind the shower. This is in Australia. Yeah. And I went and I broke a, 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 a branch off a tree, took yeah. all the leaves off, like a long two-meter <laughs> stick. Yeah. And they were in the shower looking for me, going, Oh my god, where's dad? With your old man's I ran out and I whacked these kids. <laughs> I had the whole of the freaking life saving thing scream and yell, What the hell do you think you're doing, mate? 
challenging me, coming downstairs, and I said, shut the fuck up, you next. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was tanning these guys on the ass with the stick because uh, they were late. Oh, that's classic. Oh. That's so good. Um, I, I'm going to give you one of my opinions, and I'd like you to, to tell me what you think about this, and I could be full of it, but a couple of years ago, Basically, Jordy was jumping around on a bunch of different boards. That's what it looked like to me. Like he was riding Channel Islands. He was riding some Mayhems. He was riding boards by other guys. And it felt like he was, he was jumping around too much and it was affecting his performance. What do you think of this opinion of mine? It's, it's a true point because if you think about it, Kelly won 11 titles on one brand. Exactly. Dale Parkinson won a, on one brand. Nick won it on one brand. This is proof is in the pudding because you get behind your shaper, you know. Um, once it becomes, if you're doing this, if you want to get a world title and money is your, is your, is your objective, you're never going to get a world title. You know, your world title should be from your heart is what you want to win, even if you're making not a dime, yeah. you know. You, yeah. It's for yourself, you know. And I mean... Taj jumped around a lot as well. You know what yep, I mean? And exactly. He, he had four seconds. Jordy's had three seconds. You can get so close, you know, that it's so crucial. It's such a fine line that you know your equipment, you know. I think with CR, we had a chance, but I, don't, I think it was right to when L was at the end of his peak, you know, so we missed out. And yep. then we had Brett. But we had some other shaper try and do this thing for him, and there was a lot of confusion. So yeah. I think if Jordy had stuck with um, maybe with the JS scenario, it might have been a little bit better for him. But JS couldn't do a small wave board to work at trestles. And that's why he jumped onto the CR program and the Mayhem program, because those were Californian boards, had a little bit of a flatter entry rocker, but there was some spark in those boards. It definitely made a difference. And with Geordie's weight, I noticed it got him up quick and planing quicker, you know. And yeah. that's why he stuck, he stuck on that, that flyer that he had. He won. That flyer made him miss probably $350,000 on winning <laughs> alone. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's crazy, you know. And Jay is trying to make him one and copy. It's never the same. Yeah. You can't think like another shaper. You know, your, your mindset to putting it to the hands isn't exactly the same. It, it just, it just, you know. Yeah, it's, an, it's a fascinating thing, the concept of a magic surfboard. I've had one, you've had one. We've all had them, and we've all tried to have them replicated. Why is it that we can't get a magic board replicated, in your opinion? Well, it's because of the shapers, the communication between the shapers' mind, what he's seen, and how the hand connects is a big thing. Those yeah. are the three components, you know, yeah. what you see, and what you're thinking and how you're applying it with your hands. How many times you pull that rail. How many times you cross sweep on the bottom deck, you know. The yeah. top deck doesn't really matter. It's not that much. It's not that important. You know, a yeah. hundred waves on the top deck. It's yeah. all your bottom, your curve, your entry, and the exit. You know, that's what, that's what makes it happen. You know? What about the variables in the, in the stringer? The wood and the stringer. Do you think the flex? Uh, I, 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 I only have stringers. I don't. I don't agree in all this. This stringerless and you're putting carbon on. It's not yeah. the same. Uh, the, the difference with the stringer is that 
the recoil flex pattern of your stringer will bring it back to its true cut yeah. of the fire. Yeah. That's my belief. Once you stick some funny little spine tech on the top deck where it's doing nothing, it yeah. should be stuck on the bottom. I can't right. understand why it's on the top, you know, because <laughs> it's, going to push, it's going to push back down to get us true flex. That sounds, you know, to me, it's not, I don't, you know, it's just yeah. my opinion. Yeah. But with, even with all Geordie's um, epoxies, we all, we're always putting in a three mil stringer. And strangely enough, Merrick did that for Geordie on the epoxy when I said to them, don't do a, a, a string, let's just use a three mil stringer. And when we were, when we were designing the, the Rookie, that's how the Rookie came about. So after a while, Al asked us to pop in, so we popped in. And then he said, gee, look, we want to design a, a, a new board for Geordie Nose on this thing. What do, you, what do you suggest? So I had made up a rocker stick. Yeah. And I'd taken that rocker stick off the JS. And I, and I went into Al and I asked him, can you cut me four, four boards? These are the measurements I gave you. And that's the rock I gave you. And Al cut them and he said, have a look at these. And I lifted them up and I said, they don't look the same. These two look kind of close. He said, no, no, they're all the same. They're all the same. We'll work a template. I said, hang on. And I walked out and I came out with this rocker stick on my shoulders. Well, everyone went, oh my God, now we had shit. You know, because Al doesn't believe in rocker sticks, you know. And then I stuck these rocker sticks and the conversation came up when he had, and I didn't know this, but all behind me were all the shapers, six of them, including them was Davy Smith. Yeah. And I put the rocket stick and I said, now this rocket stick reminds me of when I was in Kelly in 79 or, or oh no, 82. And I was watching this kid surf and his name was Davy Smith. And this kid blew me away and they all laughed. And I turned around and I said, what's so funny? He said, this is Davy Smith. Yeah, the same guy you're talking about. And I went, oh my God. And so, I mean, they were, and I said, well, I looked at that guy's board and this rocket was partially of that, that, that era because he was popping ears all over the show. Yeah. This kid, Davy Smith, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Al, Al he, he had a look at it and he, he said, okay, we'll, we'll have another two cut. And we put the rocket stick on. And that's how we generated having the, the rookie. And I asked him to go and get a template from Sonny Garcia that was staying with me from a 1986 wooden template. It was a 6'2", was Sonny Garcia. Because Sonny was a big guy in, 80, yeah. in 84, 85. And he brought that template down. And I turned the template around where we used the nose to, 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 to map out all the measurements that I had done on this new board that we we're designing. And everyone met. And that's where Al got the template. Oh, we used the nose template for that board. Oh, Crazy. Cool. It was, it was, and they, I mean, all those guys were there. And yeah. that's how we, we called it. The, they called it the rookie. Wow. Fascinating. So, and Jordy. Oh, you know. Jordy now, Jordy's just. Uh, purely riding Smith shapes? Yeah, no, he's riding Smith shapes. He's going, he's still got a few of the galleys because yeah. galley was going to be part of our whole Smith shapes. We, what we wanted to do, we wanted to envision visions of inviting shapers to be able to, from different zones, different areas, different countries, to be part of this whole program because my vision was if it's going to be someone in Brazil, it, I, I don't want it to be I'm the guy because we know I'm not the guy. Right. Jordy's the guy. It's our brand. 
but introduce a Brazilian shaper and be honest about it and give him the opportunities to be riding alongside with the brand. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It should be a secret and have all this underground. Why would you want to do that, Jordi? And yeah. he said, no, that's cool, Dad. So we invited Gally to be part of that crew. Yeah. And we paid Gally up front $10,000 for him to do the first 200 boards, you know, with the Smith brand on and everything else. And we, we got a couple of models and that, but I think it got, Gally got cold feet and he, he maybe he was going through some family crisis or whatever. Yeah. And we kind of just let it ride. And Joy said, dad, that's not really working out. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, if that's what it's going to be. But we got Alex, I mean, uh, Chris Bost, who's also doing boards, you know, and he's, he's helping us with a few. And oh, cool. So Borst is doing the boards in California? Yeah, well, he's, he, we've been we're trying to work through him as well. Jordy said, once I can get back there, we'll try and work through him. Yeah. And we've been working, we've been working through um, Timmy Patterson as well, you know. Yeah. He's just down the street from Jordy. Jordy did a few boards there. Because yeah. Jordy's jumped back into the shaping bay himself. And he's ghosting a few. Oh, really? Wow. That's oh, pretty cool. Right. That's cool. So, you know. so I ordered a board from you. Who's the guy that's going to be finishing my board? Do you know? Sean from Maloa. Down uh, in right. Yeah, yeah. He's great. He's, he's been doing, he's been, he must probably have been doing a couple of hundred for us now. So yeah. I've got him tuned in, you know, and then yeah. you work on your file personally. I do the file. I send it to him. Yeah. And then he will go to bed. I want to get over there. You know, I want to, as soon as I can get to freaking Cali, you know, I've got to be able to spend, there's probably yeah. six months a year there, you know. Yeah. Um, just when, growing the brand and not sending out the wrong information. We want it yeah. to be a reflection of do the you, brand. You know? when, when do you get your, have you fully been vaccinated or you just got one shot? No, I just got, the, I just got the five and one flu shot. And now I've applied for a, for a, a yeah, for the vaccine shot, and now I'm online, and it'll, we should be, they'll they'll let me know soon. And as soon as it, as soon as that happens, I'm sure I'll be able to travel to to Cali. Yeah, all the over sixties, all the oh, Cali. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see you, bro. <laughs> hey, um, so do you think you'll make it to the boardroom show out here in in Southern California in, in October? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's a must. Cool. That's cool. a must for sure. Look, you want George, to do something nice and cool and, you know, try and exhibit or whatever, you know, try and yeah. be at one of the shows. You know, that's, that's going to that's gonna be our... our I think our J, JT at Dark Arts has got has got you set up with your yeah. a, a booth next to his. Tell me about yeah. the Dark Arts collaboration. How's that going for you? No, I think that's great. I think they've done a great thing, you know, the Dark Arts. It's a different vibe, you know. Um, you can see the whole all black skins, you know, with, with them just being a, 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 the carbon. They've had to do a little bit, a little bit of mix up, put a bit of red in there or yeah. blue. Or, yeah. It's just too, it's just too. It's different. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It make it a little bit different, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, which is cool. I, I liked how they did the, the whole rail thing with Taj. That was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I just didn't feel that the five, seven, I thought it was for a little Mickey Mouse guy to ride it. You know what I, mean? I thought, well, he's going to ride a 5.7. It's crazy, you know. It would have been way better if they had just stuck to 5.9 or 5.10, you know, because it would have been a better feel. Because you just, 5.7, you can't really open up the curve. Yeah. You can imagine, opposed to a 5.10. Yeah. 
Right. You know, you just got no rail on a five on a five seven five six. It's fine if it's a little fishy because you're squirming all over the show, you know. But Todd was was riding quite significant waves. You know what I mean? You know, to be able to do reps in that. What do you think they could do uh, for the Stab in the Dark series to make it a little bit and um, I don't want to say better, but to make it different, maybe to make it better, to maybe to change it up a little bit. Have you have you thought at all about what they could do to make it a bit different? Yeah, I think they should. I think they should introduce. Uh, something to do um, with the Groms, like a real proper um, Grom challenge or, or Grom shootout or something, you know. Yeah. Not only concentrate on just the older guys, because our younger guys are really our future, you know. Yeah. I think, you know, these little 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds, more categorizing the guys, you know, and then try and pull in a, someone from, because there's been no... There's been nothing much on the QS. Try and yeah. get a, a QS surfer, you know, someone yeah. a little bit more, more, more in the line of five or six guys doing a shootout, you know. And the same as would be the, like the young guns. You know, the young guns was a really, real successful thing that they did on the Quicksilver thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more that kind of thing because that's really our stepping stone, you know, uh, uh, of youth that's, that's growing through, you know. And those guys are ripping at 16 and 15 and 14. You know, they're shredding, you know. Um, I think what, about, what about this idea? What about if we took um, the stab in the dark thing and instead of always getting with like Mayhem and JS and DHD and Pizel, we put, say, 20 shapers' names in a hat that are just whoever, like just guys from around here, guys where you live. Just good, solid shapers, but don't have the name cachet that some of these big brands have. Put those names in a hat and just randomly draw, say, six of them. Mm. Could you imagine what that would do if we had Jordy and a stab in the dark thing riding boards by guys that you and I, you know, we might have heard of them, but they're not the name guys. That would really generate a lot of buzz for some of these guys who are very talented shapers, but don't have the cachet. Well, I think everyone's just trying to protect their little <laughs> yeah. show that they have. I mean, we can see it off the cuff. I mean, why should there be four, four stabbing the rocks and it's always Parzell, it's always Mayhem, it's always it's the same drill. I mean, you yeah. know, uh, CR kind of moved away from it. They didn't want to be a part of it, you know. That's why they had to bring Timmy Patterson in or, you know, or, or, or ourselves, you know. Um, I think the dark arts had to invite us because they're making our brand. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but I agree 100. percent There's so much talent out there. Yeah. I mean, look at look how Kelly discovered Tomo. Yeah. Tomo yeah. wasn't even on the map until he's gone down surfing down the coast at Kingscliff, and he sees this door-looking board with a big V cut out the back like a <laughs> vanguard. He goes, hey, "Dude, what what is this?" He says, "Oh, it's just what I do. This is my thing." He goes. Have a ride on this thing, yeah. Take it for a ride. Oh my god, this thing flies, you know what I mean? This guy and he said, Okay, do you want to come back to my place? You know, and, and, oh, and then Kelly got under his wing, you know. Yeah, I mean, Kelly basically, I wouldn't say he's prostituted all these shapers, but he's tapped onto Tomo and he's tapped onto Weber and now George Greeno and then Takora. He's not even a shaper, yeah, exactly. But he's saying his name, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he's done amazing, believe you me. He's he's, yeah. he's done amazing with sales, and I know a lot of Californians hate him because he's 
the pop out master. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it just shows you that that fine line between everyone's saying you've got to pay attention to finer detail, you know, it's not going to go. Well, these kids jumping on these boards and ripping the shit out of these things that are just pop outs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it means, to me, it means it's all about the talent, the surfer. Yeah. 90% is the yeah. surfer. 10% yeah. is the board, you know? Yeah. And then, as you know, too, the, the, you know, the number of surfers out here that are capable of understanding the nuance between a quarter inch or an eighth of an inch of tail rocker, if there aren't, you know, most of us are just happy to paddle around and catch a wave. 100%. 100%. Hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. They're never going to be able to do the move John, John, Jordy, Kelly, and all of them do anyway. Yeah. No. Are you keen on, do you, do you watch a lot of the WSL competitions? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah, of course. Because we, because we have a few youngsters competing, you know. Um, yeah. you know we obviously have Matt McGilvery and Jordy on the CT, and then we've got our own guys that are traveling around the whole world. We've got about four or five kids on our brand. Um, we're helping them get to where they're getting, and so we've got to pay attention to that, you know. And I do a bit of coaching, a bit of mentoring, you know. So yeah, let's talk. Help. Let's talk a little bit about where Jordy's at this year on tour. He's got, he's got a fifth place at pipe and he's got two ninth places now on the East coast of Australia. Um, understanding that Jordy's a big guy and those waves at Newcastle and Nairbean were pretty small. Um, how do you think Jordy, and you probably know, you probably speak to him, but how does Jordy feel with two ninth places on the East coast of Australia? I don't think it's I don't think it's the nine places. I think it's losing to he lost to. Yeah. And more so than anything. And then really realizing giving up the opportunity that he should have really had and capitalized on it, you know. Um because it was so much heat on, heat off. And I think in my sense he was a little bit lonely. He really never really had a sparring partner with him. It's his little kid, four or five months old baby, his wife and himself, you know. And I think it would have been a little bit better for him to have had a sparring partner with him, to go down with your three boards. He takes one out. He's having five waves on that one. I'm paddling out the other one. We're changing. I'm coming and picking the other board. He's having another five waves. Then we're going out there. We've got someone on the beach riding down, one's catching a little bit on the left, that one's going better on the right, and that one's the AB board, which is for both back side and front side. Now, there was only predominantly rights um, in the beginning, but there were a few lefts, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, at Narrabian, but not at, um, at Newcastle. Yeah. And it was all off the reef. So yeah. I think in his heat against Connor, it was about anchoring. You need to anchor and dance with your partner. Stick to him like glue, hold the inside, and don't try and create because there's nothing significant coming past two and a half foot wave. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? It, it was you had to you, you had to stick to to not trying to to create a, 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 a to create a, a six out of a three. It wasn't going to happen because the judges weren't going to give it to you. They were particularly, I noticed, the best wave. Whether you surfed it to its fullest capacity or didn't, the best wave counted. It was more selection of, 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 of a better wave. 
You know, I still feel that he got robbed. That Connor never got the score yeah. on that last save. Yeah. And they kind of just kept Geordie under a bit, you know, on his on his scores. He did off the tops and what he did. But um it is what it is, you know. I still feel that he should have controlled the heat better. Yeah. That's all it was. That's all I told him, basically. His actual surfing looked really good. It looked real sparky. Oh, yeah, it looked exactly. as good as it's ever been, if not as good as it's ever been. I think you know he, he was way more sparky. Yeah. Definitely. Just um you had to be on the two best waves. Exactly. To make a difference. That was all that, you know. Yeah. Well, look, now he's at seventh place overall. His rank is seventh. In my opinion, it's kind of a good place to be. He got through the, sort of the crappy surf. Yeah. He's going to Western Oz. Hopefully the waves are bigger. He's going to have more opportunity to perform some big power surfing that he's known for, as well as uh, his aerial game. Yeah. In seventh place, he's kind of under the radar. The, the, the conventional wisdom is everyone's talking Gabe, everyone's talking yeah. Edlo, everyone's yeah. talking yeah. Morgan Sibillic. Jordy's not in the conversation, so to speak. And I think that's a good place for him. What are your thoughts on this? No, 100%. Like I said to him this morning, I said, I feel it's better because we slip streaming. Let's just slip stream behind them. You know what I mean? Wait our turn. Wait our turn. And then we can overtake. You know, at the moment, you don't want to have the target on your back. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, let yeah. all that conversation go and then strike. You know what I mean? Let's hope we, he will. He'll strike back for sure. Got the equipment. He knows Margaret's well. You see, Margaret's it's 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 a bigger wave. There's way more opportunities. You know, um, you can take the first one or the second one or the last one. It doesn't matter. You can manufacture a score. Yeah. That's the difference. Where these two events were, it was pretty hard to manufacture a score unless you went to the air. Yeah. I mean, if it made that air, if it made that air, he would have got a nine five flat yeah. out. But it's just that the wave disappeared. There was just nothing at the end of the wave. It had run into deep water. He needed to have punted, was probably three meters prior to that, to land and to give him some push. But where he landed, it was just cushioning and there's nothing there, you know? Yeah. So, how, how does, how does um, looking forward after the two events in Western Australia, would, would fifth place or better um, be positives for Jordy, do you think? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. You've got to be in the conversation, like you said. You've yeah. got to try to be around about the fourth or fifth because I think one, two, and three are going to be that far ahead. Yeah. Remember, there's already, we already got Italo and them sitting at 15,000 points ahead. Yeah. So the one, two, and three is really going to be taken. It's fourth and fifth is yeah. going to be the conversation that you're right. really going to to have and a stronghold, you know, to keep... How does like, how do you how do you feel about these other events coming on tour like um, the event at Barra, and I believe there was a couple of others, but they're slipping my mind right now. But as far as um, you know, waves yeah. that that meet Jordy's uh, capacity. Yeah, no, no, we 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 on target there. There's no problem there. I, I just think the Brazil is going to be a tough a tough you know yeah. the, the COVID shit and all this you know uh, it's it's. It's worrisome, you know. It's crazy. I can't even understand. I can't well, I see Brazil even happening. I, I don't think they're going to have yeah. Brazil. Why don't they just come to Japan? It's the only it's the only place yeah. that they manage. You know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one. Um, yeah. And then you know, Jordy's been outspoken about the Kelly's wave pool and Lamore. It's 
and and rightly so. It's not a fun way to watch as an end user, consumer, a fan, and and it's rather we almost know the outcome before even going there. Wow. Um, but he's also done well there in the Founders Cup. Jordy did pretty good. Uh, the very first sort of test run of that wave competitively. Uh, what are your thoughts on that wave um, as a competition format? He actually, for a competition format, look, it is what it is. Um, it's not my ideal wave, you know, or whatever, but Jordy doesn't mind it at all. He, from the Founders Cup, he, he enjoyed surfing it and he did what he had to do, the moves, and they did really well. And then the, when they had actually had the CT and they ran that event, he just, he was doing what he's supposed to have done, the airs and everything else. He just didn't get the scores. I'm going, he did an air and Kelly got an 8.5 and Jordy got like a 7.5. I was wondering, what are they looking for? You know, what is this whole, you know, they're not sticking to what they, what they should be stuck in. Then on the backside, he did another nice little air and he, until it got him to a stage where he had to go out his comfort zone and do something extraordinary, and that's when you blow it. You see, yeah, yeah. To what just to what he sticks sticks to. I mean, he even wrote Kelly's boards here. They went really well. I mean, the, you know, yeah. we've actually designed a few boards around that, yeah. uh, and he's been testing those, and they go really well. So we have our equipment. So he's really fought. You know, he's it, it is what it is, and we've got to do our best. He's got to, you know, although it's not what he what he really wants, yeah, but. Let's go into it with our mindset with a positive, you know, yeah. uh, behind it. What are your thoughts on the WSL as a whole regarding this whole COVID situation? It's been a tough, tough deal for all of us. Um, how, how do you think the WSL has performed? I don't think they've performed well, you know, my honest opinion. Um, I just think that, that there's been too many ifs and this and that. And I think they've had a bit of pressure and the other sponsors, their sideline sponsors have told them, you better get out the gates, you know what I mean? There's all this money involved and we're having nothing to showcase for it. And, you know, this is the outcome of them having to do the, the event in Hawaii, which was great. I enjoyed Pop, you know, that was great. And then obviously, and exactly, the, the, the surface to get to the, to, to the place through COVID and this testing, and obviously Jordy with his kid and everything else. But I mean, you, you, you can't speak for everyone, you know, with, with, with Jordy. But I mean, for the WSL, I just feel they, they just haven't really met the demands that they should have. You know, they should have been a lot tighter. They yeah. should have, you know, um, too, much too much money spent on just all, all this Hop and shit and yeah. all these people running around. I'm going, what are, what are these people getting paid for? And <laughs> what have they, you know, I mean, what have they, what have they got? Uh, Jesse Maladaya. I mean, what's, what's the woman running our men's show? I mean, what is going on? You know, how did this all come about? Yeah. You know, what about, I'm happy with that. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that. And this is purely from an end user, from a fan base point of view, that the WSL should trim the number of surfers on tour. I wouldn't um, mind if there was 24 or 16 surfers like there used to be, because frankly, the difference between the top 10 and the bottom 22 is significant. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I don't know why they're fielding so many. 
And if you remember years back, Kelly wanted to do his thing, you know, where would have just been 16 surfers. It's, it's, it's a shorter event. It's prime time where Jordy's had his heat in the afternoon and the morning the guys are standing up getting tens and nines and barrels. And then Jordy's heat is late in the afternoon at three o'clock and it's east onshore and the swells dropped and it's high tide. I mean, yeah. So it's not fair game. And I know it's an excuse, but everyone should have equal opportunity. How do we get to that equation by having less surfers? You know? um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a believer that the surfers are the, re- I mean, the waves are the real stars. Let's put the surfers in really good waves and we'll yeah. all be, be happy. And 16 surfers, I think, would get that done. Yeah, 100%. 100%, you know. Um, they, they, they don't want to kind of stop through six heats and then, I mean, well, for the, if, if it's a, if there's 16 heats through the first eight and then wait the next eight to do the next eight, they're just trying to run the whole event right through it, you know, and put the women in when the waves were best in the morning when it was cranking, glassy, and then the men's went in around about 11 o'clock right up to Jordy's last heat. Well, he won that, thank goodness he won that heat. And then he lost his heat against. He had two heats, late heats in the day. You know, twice in a row. It was, it was, when he was the first heat, the next morning was good against the Brazilian. Yeah. My dog is her, your dog. Oh. <laughs> that sounds like a big, mean dog you got there. A boo-boo. You got a, yeah, this is Eat your leg in half, bite him in half, honestly. I believe it. It sounds uh, vicious. Uh, oh, my. Hey, did you ever see that um, that documentary about Ginger Baker, the drummer for Cream? No, but I know who he is. Yeah, well, he was in he was in South Africa for a while, and he had these Rhodesian Ridgebacks that were uh, pretty, pow- pretty powerful dog. Let's get back to this WSL real quick. Um, uh, I was wondering if... Uh, I was of the opinion that that maybe they just take this year off. Do you think they would have been better off just taking it this year off? Or is that something they couldn't? Go ahead. What, what's your opinion on that? That's exactly what you heard Lou in the background saying. Why the hell didn't they just take this year off? Yeah. You know? And there's the Olympics. And there's yeah. the ISA World Games. I mean, you know, so Jordy's he's going to leave from there, jump across. They won't do the ISA World Games. I said it's impossible. And they're going to prepare for the Olympics, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to be focused. I, I agree, 100%. I, was, I think the Olympics would have been just the one right there, and it would have been a lot of harp in that, and we would have, you know, created a lot of um, yeah. Instagram stuff and content on social media and that, working, you know, working towards it. I think that would have been a better golf, definitely, just to have just yeah. coxed the whole WSL event, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let me talk to you about your surfboards. You've got, you've got a, the Smith Shapes surfboard brand. You've got the High Performance Series, the Fun Performance Series, the Retro Performance Series, and the Wing Series. I was lucky enough to order a Fat Monk uh, model from you. Um, tell us a little bit about the Fat Monk design and, and, and give me some insight into the, the recent models in the Smith Shapes arsenal. Well, starting off with the Fat Monk, it's basically we we were working around where Jordy worked towards. He said, we'll do a volume, Dad, because I'm big, and hence the volume of the board. But um, it was a narrow board. So 
I said, we can't really make the volume that you're having, George, become a wide board, like a 21 inches wide or something, or 20 and three quarters or 21, that can accommodate older guys. And we need the area because area and volume with pressure equals lift and speed. That's, that's the formula, you know, mm. basically. Yeah. So we bought out the Fat Monk. And I was doing a lot of work for Simon. You know, I did Simon boards for him and DHD boards through South Africa sure, sure. when they were base. Mm-hmm. Hence, my, 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 one of my email addresses in my factory is base South Africa 1 because I was part of the base program sure. before they folded. Right. So I was doing all the Simon models and the DHD models for them, you know, making mm-hmm. the boards for them, yeah. Sending yeah. them to Nicaragua, wherever they, they weren't reaching, you know, mm-hmm. because of a price point. And um, that's where the fat monk came. I kind of emerged um, one of Simon's kind of models to one of my models. Mm-hmm. And it became, a, a, it really worked well because it's kind of a long straight bottom with a little bit of tail flip and just a gradual entry, but it allows water to come through with nice deep concaves, a little bit of double through the back, and a little bit of more chunkiness under your, under your chest, where majority of the boards were, let's say, hypothetically, two inches at 12 thickness in the back, and the fronts were only inch and seven eighths. Well, we beefed up the front to two and an eight to give you more paddle power for the heavier guys. And that's what we did with the Fat Monk, and that's why I'm going to give that to you and then the tail kicks in a little bit because they fast and they got a lot of release in the back. There's no drag on the tail. Yeah. Um, I want you to have control when you get up to speed. If you start riding something that's a little bit more hollower, you know, yeah, yeah. go down to blacks, get into one of those nice blacks waves. They've got a little bit of punch behind them. There's a little bit of reef, you know, trestles is a bit flatter, but yeah. you're still going to need control the trestles if you're riding a good four foot day, you know, solid waves, you know. Sure, sure. So that's, and then, um, well, that was the Fat Monk. Yeah, yeah. But with, with the little, with, with, with the Wing Series and the Retro Series, it was just bringing back the past, you know, because, yep. you know, I was in the program, I was making Martin Potter's boards. I discovered Martin Potter at the age of 10. Yep. I managed him when he was a young, you know, and then I got him onto town and country. So, you know, with Potts came about, when M, even when MR saw him and put him onto his MR twin, Potts just lit up. He was yeah. made for that, bro. You can see yeah. servers that are made for those kind of style boards, you know, at 15 and 16 years old. Yeah. That was a mature surfer. That was a kid who just had the gift, you know, from day one. You know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I introduced, bought all those experiences that I've been working through those kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Barton staying with me and me making some boards for Barton. Lintering is a lower. That's how I got hold of Greg Clough. It's bringing those models back in. Nothing's really changed. Those bottom decks are all still the same yeah, from yeah. back then. Yeah. You know, now I might say, oh, this is a new invention. It's not, it's still the 80s. You kidding me? <laughs> Those are the guys that were doing everything. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it, that was the turn of the century, you know, where yeah. the guys stuck to the guns. They had minuscule changes, one eighth of the tail, one eighth of the nose. You know, they didn't go overboard because yeah. it was all speed, even with Oki, you know, and straight up when I was working with. Cowie Hill, you started straight up surfboards, another Hawaiian yeah. surfer, you know? Yeah. And the boards were flat. And he was explaining to me, gee, we've got to get this thing. It's just that gradual curve, you know? Yeah. And cool. The Black Beauty is one of them from, from Al Merrick. That Black Beauty is a replica of that same design, you know? Yeah. 
no. just that where the noses got tweaked up a lot more because the guys became to taking off under the lip. That technique that John has bought of taking off under the lip has introduced tube riding to Gabby and all these people. Yeah. You could never ride Chopu like that. Now they can. Yeah. It's that confidence, a technique of taking off under the lip. Because yeah. you can't take off on top of it. You're going to get freaking pitched. <laughs> and that's the reasoning why they pull the noses up. Because when the nose digs, the curve pulls the board up the face. That's the reasoning behind that. You see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned... So that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that's why I've just kind of gathered and just picked up the past with the new, you know, just trying to just trying to stay on a neutral rocker, more a neutralized rocker because... Our market is you and me and the bigger guys, the guys yeah. that are just stoked. All the Harper dudes, they they got their own idea. They're going to fly up and fly out the water and do all that, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned trestles, and, and it brings me to this point, with, and then I'll let you go, and I appreciate your time here today. Um, do you think that trestles is, is a good way to have the top five finish the tour, or wouldn't it be better – in my opinion, if it was at a wave of consequence. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Trestles can be hot and cold, on and off, you know. I think a place in Bali or, or, or Indo or somewhere, we know mental-wise, when it's firing, it's firing. There's no excuse. Yeah. Then we're going to get a real reflection because everyone's got the same opportunity. It's a rifle range. You take off and it's exact the same. You can see the differences, 100%. Yeah. It's still going to be potluck at Trestles, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Because it's going to be a left beating a right-hander or a right beating a left-hander, you know? Yeah. Uh, if it's Lance's rights, it's all right-handers. There's going to be no excuse. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a showdown. It's a shootout, 100%. But I, I think it, I, I think Jay Bay would be great. Oh, Jay would be great. It'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah, definitely a better reflection because every wall is going to be between five and six foot. There's no excuse. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, well, one last question, G. There's going to be top. There's going to be five guys left at the end of the year. Who are the five, in your opinion? Italo, Medina, for sure. Those guys are in. John is my third choice, you know, if he puts it all together. And then hopefully Geordie, but I mean, there's just, after that, after those three, it's, we'll know after these next two events for sure. But those three are definitely in, yeah. in my opinion, for sure. Yeah. Those three are going to be in. Yeah. Medina, so, I mean, you can, you can say Ace is a surgeon, all that. Well, we forgot about Medina. He's a freaking surgeon. Absolutely. I'm going, yeah. I can't understand what these guys want. They just wanted to, they're just dragging them into the conversation. I'm going, are you kidding me? Yeah. Ace hasn't done an A in any of it. I know. I'm, I agree. Know? I love going, the guy. I love him too. I'm just going, come yeah. on. You know? I know. I agree. That's, there's literally, I think, a, a divide between the, the, even within the top 10, I think there's the top five. And I think the difference between five and six is very, very big. Exactly, 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. you know. I mean, even you got Morgan coming through strong. Well, let's see now. Look, he can surf, eh? The kid's yeah. good. He's, yeah. he, he, he's, he's good. 
and um, I mean Connor. They they're all experiencing. Eh? They they yeah. they're all going through the motion. It's just. I just don't think he's a Geordie, unfortunate, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not that I want to blow my trumpet for my own, hey, my own kid, you know. That's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, gee, thanks. I'm looking forward to my new board. I'm excited yeah, to get it. I'm sure. excited to talk to you about it after I write it. And, um, and I want to thank you for your time and tell your beautiful wife, I thank her for her great insights. I heard most of what she was saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my earpiece on. <laughs> and look, um, I'll be in touch soon. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. 100%. Really stoked. And we'll connect. We'll hook up once I get to, to Kelly for sure. Yeah, you know you're going to be at the boardroom. I'm going to see you at the oh, boardroom. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, definitely. It'll be amazing. Yeah. All right. Cheers, bro. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. You. Take care. Yeah, buddy.